Hello, church. It's good to be here tonight, and it's good to be through Romans 7. Amen? Good to be through it. The brothers did a great job teaching through Romans 7, but it's a, it's a challenging chapter. It's one of the most challenging chapters in the Bible. And, um, and Steele did a great job last week. Remember his, uh, Caleb mentioned his body of death illustration? That will never leave me, Steele. Thank you very much. I can't get that out of my brain. That was so good. So if you miss any messages, you can go uh, watch them. We have them all videotaped. You can watch them online um, last week or any of them. So the thing is that uh, Romans 7 really is just a, it's Paul expressing his frustration. He's being real. He's being raw. He's being honest about his struggles and frustration with sin. Um, the struggle between the flesh and the spirit is real. And Paul's just being very honest there. And we've all felt this. We all, if we're honest, we all feel it constantly, this Romans 7 struggle. The flesh against the spirit, don't we? We feel it. And it, it, Paul talks about it like being a slave, being in slavery or having chains. But you know what? The good news tonight is Romans 8, the chains fall off, baby. The chains fall off. We turn a corner in the, in the study of Romans with chapter 8. Chapter 8 is an amazing chapter. Um, we find out that, and we know this, but Paul is going to emphasize the fact that Jesus paid for all of our sins. There's no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ. Did you, did you hear what I said? Amen. That, that's pretty important. And that is pretty good news. That, that is a good deal. That, that Jesus takes our sins... And pays for them all on the cross and then gives us his righteousness. That, that's a good deal, wouldn't you say? And, and it kind of reminds me of speaking of good deals. You ever watched Price is Right? I mean, it's kind of like the Price is Right. Romans 7 versus Romans 8. It's, it's you can choose condemnation or no condemnation. Which one do you want? Hmm, which one will I choose? So you've got a choice. And, and the thing is that God has made it clear. Bob Barker won't tell you what's behind there, but, but Jesus does. Condemnation is door number one. No condemnation is behind door number two. And we're going to talk about no condemnation as believers tonight. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is a good deal. So we're going to sweeten the deal. We're going to tell you more about what, what's behind door number two today. Uh, Romans 8, some people think it's the greatest chapter in the whole Bible. Here's a few quotes from some folks, Griffith Thomas says, Romans chapter 8 is undoubtedly the chapter of chapters for the believer. William Newell says, there is scarcely a passage in the New Testament that is more delightful reading to the spiritual Christian than the 8th chapter of the book of Romans. John Piper says this, the greatest book in the world is the Bible. The greatest letter in the book is in that book is Romans, and the greatest chapter in that letter is chapter 8. And I would even go so far to say the greatest verse in chapter 8 is verse 1, which says again, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you know Christ tonight, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer and the Spirit lives in you, your sins have been forgiven, you're a born-again, Bible-believing Christian, you have no condemnation to look forward to. There's no condemnation for you. Did you hear what I said? There's no condemnation. Amen. Now, you may condemn yourself. Others may condemn you, but Jesus never will. That's right. 
There's no condemnation. It's, it's probably one of the best verses in the whole Bible. If this is all you get tonight, that I'm not, as a believer, I won't be condemned, then that's enough. If you don't know Christ yet, then understand there is condemnation for you, according to the Bible. You've chosen door number one. By not choosing door number two, by default, you get door number one, condemnation. The good news for believers tonight is there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, I'm telling you, if, um, if we just look at Romans 8 from the beginning to end, Romans 8 starts with no condemnation, and we're going to see in a few weeks that it ends with no separation. There's no condemnation, and there's no separation for the believer, those who are in Christ. This is one of the best books and chapters in the whole Bible. If, if we were writing a theme song, if we're writing a theme song for the book of Romans, as we turn around Romans chapter 7 and enter into Romans chapter 8, I think that a good theme song would be the theme song from Rocky, man, right here. Here we go. Going into, yes, thank you very much. That's what we would sing because it's such a crescendo of, and it, we're done with Romans chapter 7, and now we're done with the basic training and we're on to the main event of how to live as Christians. That's where Paul is going to take us. So tonight, I titled my message appropriately, No Condemnation. We're going to look at the first, verse, uh, first 11 verses. Let me tell you what we're going to talk about. We're going to look at three things, three truths every Christian needs to remember. Again, I'm talking about Christians here. If you don't know Christ, come talk to me or go to the Connections booth. If you're not sure you're a Christian, go to the Connections booth and just say, hey, could you help me understand this? Because Paul's talking to believers here. Three truths every Christian needs to remember. Uh, number one, you can never be condemned. Amen to that. You can never lose God's spirit, which lives inside you, number two. And number three, you can never be the same. Once you become a Christian, you can never be the same. God changes you from the inside out. That's what we're going to look at. Let's pray one more time. Uh, Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for this beautiful, wonderful inspiring truth that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I pray that we would live that, we'd walk in it, we'd relish in it, we'd swim in it, we'd enjoy it, we'd believe it. Help us believe that tonight. If we don't get anything else, God, we walk out of here going, I am not condemned as a believer. Help us get that truth tonight, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So let's go to the first point. You can never be condemned. You can never be condemned as a Christian. Again, Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, by the way, uh, just want you to know, I, I've been sick since last Saturday. I've, I've gone through a whole thing of prednisone, and I've gone through antibiotics, and I haven't talked hardly all week. This is the first time I've talked this long in a whole week. I've been in bed for many of the days. I've been saving it up for tonight, so give me grace. I'm sucking on a cough drop. So far, so good. We'll see how it goes. Um, but just want you to know, if I, if I feel gro sound grovelly, that's why. Um, so, Romans 8.1. I'm going to give you a little study tip as you study the Bible. Here's something that uh, is, a, is a good thing to do, and it actually is helpful as, you're, as you want to meditate on a particular verse. We're going to do it here because this verse is so important. What you do is you, you take the verse, and you read it over, and you emphasize either a word or a phrase, and you, then you read it again, and you emphasize a different word, and you go through the whole verse, and you keep repeating it and emphasize those 
words. So, for instance, Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What's the therefore, therefore? Why is, why is the therefore there? Well, some people say it's for everything that came before Romans 8, from 1 all the way through 7. Some people say it's more related to what Romans, Paul was talking about in Romans 7. And remember how Paul, um, I don't know if I have the verse, no I don't, uh, where, where he says, Who shall rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's kind of how he ends chapter 7. He's ending saying that, you know, I, there's no hope for me. Like Caleb's song, you know, he just, he, you just felt his heart there. There's, there's no hope except in Christ. And that's the conclusion Paul came to. Because of Christ, therefore, there's now no condemnation. That's what the therefore is there for. Let's emphasize the word now. Therefore, uh, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So when are we not condemned? Right now, you, not maybe in a little bit, maybe, or eventually we'll be not condemned. Uh, when we finally clean up our life, is that when we're not condemned? When we find ourselves being worthy, is that when we're not condemned? When we try our hardest, finally, then we won't be condemned. Is that what it says? You say, well, in the future sometime. Well, when you get to the future, guess what time it is at that point? It's now. Now is now, always. You are not condemned right now, and you won't be condemned in the future. Christian, there is therefore now, isn't that a good word? Now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's emphasize this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How much condemnation are you going to receive as a believer? What about when you sin? Isn't, there, isn't God going to condemn you right then? Because <laughs> aren't as quite as loud there. Oh, well, maybe. No. The word no means no. No condemnation. There's no condemnation. None. Not even a little bit. Maybe a little bit of guilt. No. Maybe about feeling bad a little bit. No. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Zero condemnation. How about this? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Pretty important words. Some people think, well, everybody's going to go to heaven. No, no, no. Only those who are in Christ Jesus. So the question you need to ask yourself tonight, it's a very important question. Are you in Christ Jesus? Are you a believer? Do you have a relationship with him? I didn't say, did you go to, do you go to church? I didn't say, do you read your Bible? I didn't say, are you a pretty good person? I didn't say, have you never murdered anybody? Because that's the standard, right? I've never killed anybody. Let me into heaven, God. No, no, no. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, the Apostle Paul in his writings in the New Testament, no less than 164 times does he use this phrase, either in Christ Jesus or in the Lord. Um, he uses this phrase all the time. It is so important or in him. In him. What does that mean? Um, I like this quote from John Stott. He's a theologian. He says, to be in Christ does not mean to be inside Christ as tools are inside a toolbox or our clothes are in a closet, 
but to be organically united to Christ as a limb is in the body or a branch is in the tree. It is this personal relationship with Christ that is the distinctive mark of his authentic followers. To be in Christ means to be in relationship with Christ, to be in good stead with Christ, to have your sins forgiven. That's what it means to be in Christ. Are you a believer? Are you a Christian? Are you born again? Then you're in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you're not a believer. So, again, why don't we read this together out loud since my voice is giving out a little bit. You can help me. Let's read it out loud. Ready? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We could get up and go home now. We could. That's all. I want you to get that. That's what I want you to get tonight. That's what I've been praying. Just get that walk out going, I'm not condemned as a believer. And if, again, if you're not a believer, if you're not sure, you can be sure we can help you with that. God's not stingy with this forgiveness. He wants to help you. Have you ever felt condemned as a Christian? Have you ever? Honestly, I have. Um, but about a week ago, I realized for, about the, for the prior three weeks, I've been waking up feeling condemned, like a cloud hanging over me. It was palpable. Every morning I wake up and I just feel this sense of condemnation. And it got to the point where I finally just snapped out of a little bit and said, what is going on here? So I reached out for prayer from my co-pastors and my wife and said, guys, I don't know what's going on. There's nothing that I'm aware of that I've done that I should feel condemned. And I'm just feeling just heavy, heaviness. of condemnation. I wake up and just feel like, and then I realized for those three weeks, I've been studying about no condemnation. <laughs> I've been getting, preparing for this message, and that's what I've been meditating on. There's no condemnation. And then I realized that the devil is an idiot jerk. <laughs> that's just playing with me. And once I reached out and people started praying for me, and I started praying for me, and I asked God, God, would you kick the devil's butt because he's making me feel condemned, and I know I'm not. And you know what? It went away. But we can feel condemned. And we can have other people, whether it's our family, our friends, our enemies, social media, spouses, people in our church, Satan himself, or our own minds. And that, that's, that's what condemns me more than anything is myself. I don't know if you can relate to that. I, I can be so self-condemning. But you know who doesn't condemn me? God doesn't. Not as a believer. Because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. The next couple verses, verse 2 through 4 says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And again, Paul has talked a lot about this, and we've taught a lot about the flesh and the Spirit even last, the last few weeks in Romans chapter 7. So really what I want to break down, I ask the question, what does that mean? And I'm just going to give you a couple things. There's two things I want to point out to you it, practically. I want to get practical here. Um, what does it mean uh, when, when he's talking about the flesh versus the Spirit and being set free from the flesh? It means there's nothing left to forgive. When it comes to um, this point of not being condemned, we are not condemned. We need to understand two things. One, it means there's nothing left to forgive. 
What do you mean by that? It, what I mean by that is God has already forgiven us of all of our sin. All of our sin. Even the sin you're going to do tomorrow. It's already forgiven. If you're a believer, there's nothing left to forgive. But I, but I might do something wrong. Yeah, and you will, and I will too, but it's already forgiven. How do you know that? Well, the Bible tells me. I'm glad you asked. Let, let's look at some verses. Um, Romans 6.10. The death he, who's he? Jesus. The death Jesus died, he died to sin once for all. Once he died for all sin. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Colossians 2.13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature or your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Could it be any clearer? We simply have to believe it. Why do we feel like we need to beg forgiveness for God for sins when they're forgiven? Why do we have to pay penance to ourselves and feel bad for a period rather than acknowledging that we sin, that it was wrong, and receiving God's forgiveness, saying you've already forgiven that. You're such a good God. Thank you for that. He's forgiven all of our sins. Here's a couple more, just in case you don't believe me. Well, actually, I want to talk about this first. Um, some of you are thinking, well, I, I know God's forgiven my past sins, but man, I, I, I blew it today, and I'm going to probably blow it tomorrow. What about future sins? Well, let me just make this point to you. Let me ask you a, a pointed question. When Jesus died over 2,000 years ago, right here at the cross, when he died, how many sins had you committed at that point? In other words... On that day that he died, if you made a list of all the sins you'd committed in your whole life, 2,000 years ago, on that day, and handed it to me, how many sins would be on that piece of paper? None, because you're not even born yet. So you've got to understand that when Jesus died, he died for all sins. He died for all the sins you hadn't even committed yet, you see? Because he's not going to die again. He's already paid for it. He's paid for all sins, past, present, and future sins. All your sins, men and women, were future when it comes to the cross when Jesus died. So this question of what about my future sins, it's answered right here. They're already paid for. All of our sins have been paid for. There's nothing left to forgive. There's nothing left to forgive. What else does it mean? It means there's nothing left to punish. There's nothing left to forgive. There's nothing left to punish. Christians will never experience punishment for their sins. Christians will never experience punishment for their sins. It says here in 1 John 4, 8 that there is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because Fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. This idea of fear having to do with punishment, the world, and many Christians, sadly, are terrified of death. Now, I'm, I'm terrified of the, the death process. <laughs> but I'm not terrified of what happens after death. Does that make sense? I'm not fearful because I know I'm not going to be punished. I know that I have a Savior who is punished for me. Do you get that? So, there's nothing left to punish. If our sins are forgiven, you need to understand that there's nothing left to punish. Now, don't get confused with um, consequences or correction or discipline. That's different than punishment. God's punishment, God's wrath, is something unique that you do not want to experience. And you never have. 
That's coming in the future, and that is terrifying. But there will be consequences. If you get drunk and hit a telephone pole with your tree, uh, you may get a black eye and, and the, you, know, you may have whiplash. And th- There may be consequences for your sinful behavior. But that is not God's wrath. That is not God's punishment. It may be discipline, and he does that just like any good parent. God will discipline us, but that is not his punishment. Christians will never be punished for your sin because Jesus has already been punished. He's already been punished for your sin. So you won't have to be. It's like this. It's like if you go to Costco and buy a big screen TV or something, okay? You're carrying it out. You got your receipt. You know, they always check you. I don't know why they do that, but they check you going out. She grabs it. She looks at it, marks it. And then as you're walking out, she grabs your shoulders. Whoa, wait a minute. You got to pay for that. And you go, how do you pay for it? No, no, you got to pay for it again. What are you talking about? No, no, you got to, you got to pay for it again. You got to pay for that. You say, no, it's already paid for. No, you got to pay for it again. That'd be ridiculous. Jesus already paid for your sins. For you to have to pay for them is ridiculous. It won't happen. It will not happen. Some of you right now, I know, here's what you're thinking. This is why I think you're kind of quiet here. You're thinking, well, that means I can just go sin all I want. No, it doesn't. You would never do that if you understood what Jesus did for you. You would never do that. You would never have that response. Your response would be, I want to run as far away from sin as possible because he loved me that much. Listen, Christians will never be punished over the sin. You know who what? What what the deal is? Somebody was punished, and it wasn't us. It was Jesus. Isaiah 53, 5 says, but he, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Somebody had to go to hell. Somebody had to pay the penalty for our sins. Thank God Jesus did. Thank God he did. Now, if you receive that payment, if you take door number two, then that payment will apply to your sins. Your sins can be paid for, and you will not be punished for your sin. You know, as I study and I read a, <clears throat> a sermon by Charles Spurgeon. I love Charles Spurgeon. And he was preaching on Romans 8.1. Way better than I'm preaching on Romans 8.1. But he mentions this painting. Um, (coughs) This is the very painting. Let me read this little paragraph out of his sermon. He says, uh, you may have seen a well-painted picture called Waiting for the Verdict. This is the actual picture he was mentioning, referencing. He says, "What what interest is displayed on every face? What fear and trembling upon the countenance of the prisoner? In his wife and his friends around him, what anxiety is seen? Waiting for the verdict is a sad picture. But what another might be drawn of the favorable verdict received? The prisoner is acquitted. Oh, what joy! It is not possible to bring in a verdict of not guilty for you and me, for we are undoubtedly guilty. But yet... It is possible by the process of substitution and divine grace to bring in a just verdict by which it is witnessed that there is now no condemnation. And then he concludes, he says this, and I love it. He says, this is no raving of fanaticism, but the unquestionable deduction of a fair argument. If Jesus was condemned in my stead, there can be no condemnation for me. Amen? There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
No, you can never be condemned. That's the first truth we need to remember. Number two is you can never lose God's spirit. Paul talks a lot about the spirit and the flesh in chapters 7 and 8. He continues talking about it here, and we'll talk about the spirit. In Romans 8, 5 through 8, it says this. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. The spirit is so important for us to understand that with the spirit we can resist temptation. We can become more and more godly. We don't have to give into our flesh. There's no life found in the flesh. Life is found in the spirit. Goes on to say in verse 7, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So he is comparing and contrasting someone who is in the spirit versus those who are in the flesh. In the spirit means that you are a saved, born-again Christian. In the flesh means you are a carnal, non-Christian. In the spirit means you are not condemned. In the flesh means you are condemned. So he is talking on non-believers here in verse 8. Those who are in the flesh, those who are non-believers, who do not have the spirit of God, cannot, cannot, cannot please God. You say, well, what about all the good things people are doing? That, that's awesome. It's, it's good that they're doing good things, but those good things will never get them to heaven. They're in the flesh. They're not in the spirit. They have their sins forgiven. So what does this mean for us? It means two things we'll look at. It means there is nothing that can separate you from God. If you have the spirit, there's nothing. Excuse me, i got to blow my nose. <laughs> and talk amongst yourself for a second. got to take a cough drop and take a drink. Okay. <laughs> You'll be glad I did because I'm going to start coughing here otherwise. Or just watch me take a drink. Okay. There's nothing that can separate you from God. Again, this is all good news. I hope you guys are getting it. You don't seem like you're getting it, but I hope you are. I trust you are, okay? Maybe you're just tired. Uh, there's nothing that can separate you from God. I love this verse, John 10. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. How long is eternal life? Eternal. Wait a minute, but what if you sin? Uh, no, it's still eternal. <laughs> it does, it's not eternal until you sin. It's eternal life. If you have eternal life, it's for eternity. And they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. How many of you are old school enough to remember the show Kung Fu with David Carradine way back in the day? And the intro had David Carradine, his little boy, with his master. And the master would say, snatch the pebble from my hand. And David, we'd miss it, and he'd miss it. And it shows him growing up. And finally, when he's an adult, he finally snags it, and he gets it. The point is, I'm trying to make, is that no one can snatch you out of God's hand, ever. God has you. And he told us that. No one can snatch you out of my hand. You are secure in your salvation, if you have the Spirit of God in you. The verse also is interesting. It says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. And I love that picture. I, I, there's a story I, I know from Josh Whitney's dad, Rick Whitney, who is my, one of my spiritual mentors for years and years. He's a, he's a, he loves ranching. He loves sheep. He loves cattle. And he tells a story. He actually wrote it out, and Josh sent it to me again, 
uh, about some cows. They were out. Um, I'll just show you a picture of cows here while I'm talking. <laughs> so Rick tells the story that they were separating cows from their calves because it was time to take the calves and give them vaccination and put the tag in their ear and, and brand them. And so they had to take about 600 mamas away from their baby calves, separate them with a fence. Took them all day to do it. And they said as soon as they got separated, the, the calves and the mamas were both bawling, just, just so loud. Have you ever been around a really loud cow? Um, and separated them, and they went home that night. And he said when they were coming back in the morning to finally do what they had to do with the calves, he said it was so loud he thought it was like a 747 landing in their pasture. 600 mama cows just bawling and 600 calves bawling on the other side of the fence said that they would do their thing, they'd brand them, they'd vaccinate them, do what they needed to do, then they would let the calf out. And this is what's amazing. That it, with all that noise, he said it literally hurt his ears. He would have to, yawn, he would have to pop his ears because it was so loud. So in, in that loudness, the calf would go out and bawl, and, the, and, and they would find the right mama. And the mama would take them away. They, under, they heard the voice of each other. Now, if God does that for cows, what do you think he does for us? He says, my sheep know my voice. We know his voice. Do you know his voice? He hears you. You know, he hears you when you pray. And he will never take his spirit away from you. He loves you that much. The thing is that we can't even separate ourselves. I won't read this because we're going to get to it in about three weeks. Romans, at the end of Romans, it says, basically, there ain't nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. You can't even separate yourself from God. And that should be good news for us. Amen? I led a guy to Christ once and I told him, hey, you are, you're signed, sealed, and ready to be delivered to heaven. You're on your way. You're on a one-way train. He goes, well, whoa, 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 wait a minute. What if, I, what if I change my mind and I want to go to hell? And I, 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 just, I just said, you got to trust me on this one, okay? You got to trust me on this one. So that's the first thing. There's nothing that can separate you, and there's nothing that can remove God's Holy Spirit from you. There's nothing that can remove God's Holy Spirit from you. So you and I, you need to understand a little principle that when you become a Christian, you be, become filled with the Holy Spirit, then he seals you like a vacuum pack, like, like got some meat in your vacuum, seal that bad boy. Okay, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Uh, let's look at some verses here. 2 Corinthians 5 says, Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit. He's given us the Spirit, deposited in us, a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Sealed us with the Spirit, guaranteeing what's to come. What's to come? God's coming back for us to take us to heaven. Ephesians 1.13 says it this way, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed. Now you're in Christ. You're a believer. Having believed, at that point, you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. It moves in your body. This idea of having a seal, the Greek word there means a pledge or part of the purchase money or property given in advance as a security for the rest. God puts his spirit in us as a guarantee that he's coming back to get us and taking us to heaven. Okay? Don't believe me? Here's a couple more verses. Because this is so important. Ephesians 4 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That day's coming, believer. You'll never lose the Spirit. It's sealed in you. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his Spirit in our hearts 
as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. I think God wants us to believe that. He wants us to, to be sure of it, not to doubt it. Don't buy this idea that you can lose your salvation. If you're a Christian, a true believer, you're in Christ, you can't lose your salvation. So I think some churches want to preach that just to make you feel guilty. It's not true. <laughs> if these verses are true, it's a guarantee. You're on your way to heaven. Okay, this idea of a deposit, you know, when I was a kid, you could find bottles on the street and take it in for what? Ten cents, five or ten cents. You know, get a deposit, right? Um, I, let me tell you a story about my little brother and me. My little brother is the one with a dapper plaid jacket there in the middle. We were about this age, and we broke a window in our house, which was not surprising. And um, at the time, my dad took out the frame and told us to run to the hardware store, Lorenzo's Hardware Store on Merle Hay. It was about a block and a half away. So we ran with the broken window frame, uh, the window and the frame, and the hardware store guy fixed the window for us. We paid him, and we didn't have enough money, okay? And Loren Mr. Lorenzo was kind of a grumpy old dude, okay? He was, we were scared of him, you know? Nobody liked Lorenzo because he was scary. And uh, he said, you don't have enough money. And we just kind of looked at him. He goes, Some, you're going to have to go home and get more money and bring it back. And so we started leaving. He goes, whoa, wait a minute. One of you has to stay. As what? As a deposit. I was the older brother. I looked at my little brother. He knew it was coming. He, his tears started welling up. His lip was quivering. I said, I'll be right back. I took her out of the store. And like all little kids, I completely forgot about him. He's still there to this day, actually. No, I didn't forget about my brother. That's a pretty valuable deposit. I ran home. Thank oh, Mr. Lorenzo's got Jay. We need some money. So I ran back and gave him the money, and I got my brother, and I got the, paid for the deposit, brought him back home, and we rejoiced greatly. God has left his spirit inside of you as a deposit. And he can't wait to come get you. He won't forget you. He's going to come get that spirit. He's going to take you back home and you will rejoice greatly. You cannot lose the spirit of God. You cannot do it. So last point, let's get practical. So far, we've been reminded that you can never be condemned. You can never lose God's spirit. And finally, getting a little more practical here, you can never be the same, practically speaking, because of what God has done in our lives because of the forgiveness that we have. Last couple verses here. In Romans 8, 9 through 11, it says, You, however, are not in the flesh. You're not an unbeliever. He's talking to Christians here. But in the spirit. See how he compares and contrasts in the flesh and in the spirit. You are in the spirit if, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. And that's always a good question. Am I a Christian? I don't want to just assume you're a Christian. You shouldn't assume that. Are you? Do you know? That's what Paul says, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. You better check that out. If you're not sure, get sure today. Get sure today. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. You're not a believer. You're not going to heaven. You will be condemned if you don't have the Spirit of God living inside you. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead, you still have your flesh because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Last verse. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life 
to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. In other words, you and I can live differently. In fact, we should live differently. In fact, we'll never be the same once the spirit lives inside you. Doesn't mean we won't sin. Doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. But we'll never be the same. And there's so many things I could talk about, but, but I felt like I want to give you one thought on how we'll never be the same and how we can be different with God's Spirit in us because this is an area that, that I see in Christians all the time. Mature Christians sometimes that don't know how to deal with this issue. And I thought, well, maybe this would be the time just to talk about practically how we can be different, how God's Spirit allows our mortal bodies and our minds and our actions to be different. And that is simply this. There is nothing you can't forgive. And some of you are having a hard time with that right now, and I get that. But I want to encourage you. Because of God's Spirit living in you, you can forgive those who have hurt you. Hurt you greatly. We're not saying it didn't hurt. We're not saying it wasn't difficult. We're not saying it still doesn't hurt. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you can Forgive them because of the spirit of God that lives inside you. You're not the same person you were before. And you must forgive them. Oh, Bill, you don't know what they did to me. I, I realize that. And I'm sure it's horrible. And I can't imagine the pain you've gone through, quite honestly. But I've talked to a lot of people. I've, I've seen a lot of pain doing this job for 30 years. There is nothing you can't forgive. And you need to. <laughs> Um, you know, we can't be like the ungrateful servant who was forgiven a great debt and then went out and choked a guy to pay for the, you know, give me my dollar back, you know. We forget that, you know, we were, we're sinners as well. We forget that we've been forgiven a great debt. And we see somebody sins against us. It's like, why? We was rear. Like, how could you sin against me? And we did, we did that to 100 people last week. Charles Swindoll says it this way. Oh, how terrible our sins look when they are committed by someone else, right? Isn't that true? We can forgive, and we must. Forgive and forget. Here's what the Bible tells us on forgiveness. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you, ha you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And I always ask people, how did the Lord forgive you? Did he forgive you and say, I'll forgive you, but you don't do that again, ever. I won't forgive that. No, he forgave unconditionally. He forgave. He, he wasn't begrudging when he forgave you. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He forgave you completely, and it cost him. When you forgive people, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you some emotional collateral. But you must forgive as the Lord forgave you. He didn't say, well, that's such a bad one. I'm not going to forgive that one. He forgave it. In fact, he died for it. A couple quotes, and then we'll end. When God pardons, says Merv Rozelle, when God pardons, he consigns to everlasting forgetfulness. Now, don't make the mistake to think that God forgets anything. God, God is God. But here's, here's the point. He doesn't forget anything, but he chooses not to remember your sin. He chooses not to remember it. There's a big difference there. And I like this quote as well. Henry Ward Beecher said, I can forgive, but I cannot forget is only another way of saying I will not forgive. We need God's grace with this. Let me tell you one story as we conclude here. You've heard of Corrie Ten Boom. She's a concentration camp survivor. 
She was treated very badly in a Nazi Germany. Well, she was actually not in Germany, but she was in a concentration camp and saw her sister die. She never saw her parents again after they were split up. Um, the guards mistreated them very, very badly. She survived. She went on. She was a Christian, and she went on to speak around the world, particularly about forgiveness through her experiences at the, at the concentration camp. Ravensbrook is where she was held. She was speaking one night, and she looked down the audience, and she saw who she thought was one of the guards from Ravensbrook who had tortured so many people and mistreated her and her sister, even causing her sister to die. She didn't look at him. She didn't want to look at him. But when she was greeting people, she noticed he, he had gotten in line and was waiting to meet her. And indeed, she looked at him and said, that is him. In her, in her heart, she said, that's him. That's, I know that's him. And she had so much hatred. She just got done talking about forgiveness, by the way. <laughs> that's significant. And she saw this guy, and he finally came up to her, and he, he said, Fraulein, I can see that you recognize me. I've become a Christian. God has forgiven me. I need to know, will you forgive me? And she said, in her heart, she said, I can't do it. I can't do it. God, you're going to have to help me. I can't do it. And this is all going on in her brain. She says it just felt like an eternity. And, and he just stood there and he put his hand out and said, will you forgive me? And she said, God, help me. And, and in the moment, she says it was woodenly and, and clumsily. She said, she just said, God, I will if you help me. And she said it was like electricity ran through her body and allowed her to lift her arm up. She said, I do forgive you with all my heart. She embraced him. Now, I don't know what you've gone through, but that is, to me, an amazing story. And here's what she concludes. Last thing I'll share tonight. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Remember that. Forgiveness is a choice. It's not an emotion. No matter where you're at, you can forgive whoever sinned against you. And you might need help with that. We can help you. So, last question. Who do you need to forgive? I just felt compelled to include this in here tonight. Maybe there's someone that you need help forgiving. I'm going to pray for you, and we'll have a last song. God, thank you. Thank you for tonight. Thank you, God, so much that we are not condemned. We are never going to lose your spirit and we're never going to be the same. You've changed us. And we thank you for that. I just simply want to ask that people remember that tonight. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. No condemnation if you're a believer. You will never be condemned. The spirit will never be taken away from you. You can never be separated from God. And God can help you forgive that person. May he grant you grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.